The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh listeners. This is uh, Inspire FM and you're listening to the Ask Your Lawyer show. Uh, my name is Giazuddin. I'm a director at Wolf & Company Solicitors. Um, and this is the Ask Your Lawyer Show, as I say, your weekly look into the world of law. Uh, joining me today will be Kiara Maddox of Church Court Chambers and my good friend Colin Witcher. Well, but they're both my good friends, but <laughs> and they're both from uh, Church Court Chambers. They're both very, very experienced parishes, and they're going to be assisting us today with our subject matter. Kiara, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Uh, what have you been up to in in your career? What have you, what kind type of cases have you been dealing with recently? Um, well, I deal predominantly with serious crime. So anything ranging from um, Section 18s to murders to rapes and deal with quite a lot of domestic violence in the context of criminal proceedings. Brilliant. Colin, uh, how have you been and what have you been dealing with recently, Colin? Yeah, similar to Chiara uh, in terms of the background in cases, um, together at Church Court. Um, lots of cases this year, um, working alongside uh, Queen's Council on sort of difficult and interesting cases, and a lot of financial crime as well, which has a crossover, in fact, with controlling coercive relationships, because finance can be part of the control in these relationships that we see now and now. Awesome. Um, I've actually posted, for your benefit, listeners, the profile links of both the barristers on the uh, uh, Facebook website with, and the links will be put up for you so you can have a go and have a good look at the experiences of uh, Colin and uh, Kiara. Uh, remember you can instruct both of these barristers via your solicitors if you need any help or if you if you know anybody else who needs any help you can go to your solicitor and approach them and say look listen I want Colin and or Kiara maybe both uh, to help you in my case and uh, they team. can <laughs> they can certainly assist you yeah so um Today's subject matter, let's uh, talk about what we're going to get down to today. Domestic abuse and the laws around coercive and controlling behaviour. Listeners, if you want to join into the debate, um, please do WhatsApp and text. The number is 01582481822 if you want to call in. If you want to send a text or WhatsApp, it's 0779481822. We do rely on your participation. I think it would be really good, considering the subject matter, to get some insight. If you know anybody or, or are worried about anybody, do feel free to give us a call we will be talking about the subject matter um and i should actually say whilst we start i've posted the link for bedfordshire police uh, and the women's refuge as well on our website you can have a good look at that and if you know anybody who requires any assistance for any of this type of thing please do click the link if you think that it's more urgent call the police and i'm sure they can assist you with it i will be posting uh, reminding you of those links at the end of show again um in the broader context, guys, um, we talk about domestic violence. I think we can f- all figure out what violence is. What is the domestic context? What does domestic mean, Colin? Um, domestic tends to mean within, within the household, if you like. Within Normally we see it within relationships. It can be um, partners. It can also be within the family. Right, yeah. um, so mother, mother-in-law, that dreaded word often used, father, yeah. that sort of a relationship. Um, so that's what domestic means. It means at home. It means relationships. It's very broad. Um, it's can be defined to include stepchildren, step partners, and the like. It adapts as the family units adapt over the years. Uh, the definition, like all laws, 
adapts as well. That's really what domestic means. Okay, Kiara, can cousins and things like that be counted as a... They can. Um, it can be extended, as, as Colin said, to mean anyone within the family unit, anyone you have an intimate relationship with. Hmm. I think what's also interesting, um, and people might not perhaps um, have, in, have in the front of their mind, is that it's somebody who you used to have that kind of relationship right. with. So, for example, um, an ex-partner... You're no longer in an intimate relationship, but the background mm-hmm. would, um, means that that forms, that forms part of a domestic violence context. And a lot of people um, perhaps don't really understand that when they're, when they're charged with these type of offences. So if we talk about it like that, I just want to basically clarify it just for our listeners. Um, Neighbours, teachers, where would they fall in? Because obviously they haven't got an intimate relationship with people. Well, you wouldn't expect a teacher to have some. But where would they come into the context of it in relation to DV type matters? Or is that a completely separate thing? People in positions of trust, basically. Yeah, I mean, there's specific offences for abusing position of trust, for example, mm. in sexual offences between teachers and students, even there over the age of 16, as to the criminal offence if the student is under the age of 18, for example. Mm. So the law covers and or protects those relationships. And, and of course, a neighbour can still be guilty of stalking, for example. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're not immune, if you like, from prosecution. But when we talk about domestic violence and either a specific um, precursor to an offence, or as an aggravating feature of the offence, we tend to look at more intimate, closer relationships. Yeah. But they're certainly not immune if it's your next-door neighbour or it's a school governor or even bus drivers, for example, who may be harassing on a daily basis. There's yeah. still specific offences that they'll be caught by. Right, OK. Um, I'm going to read us some stats, um, just so uh, our, our listeners are aware of how, should we say, prevalent these types of offences are. Um, well, apparently there are some 2 million victims of a domestic abuse a year and two-thirds of them are, are women and these are taken from government websites and i'll post the links at the end of the show um and one-tenth one-tenth so ten percent of all offenses recorded by the police are domestic abuse related mm. um i've got another one here the prevalence of domestic abuse well it says here that, that they've slightly reduced um and there's a gradual long-term downward trend and i'll ask you why that might be and this is an interesting one, actually. The cost of domestic abuse is estimated to be £66 billion, uh, for victims of domestic abuse in England and Wales for the year ending in 2017. So slightly old, but you can see the huge figures that we're talking about here. I mean, we're all experienced, well, you guys are anyway, very experienced, well-practiced uh, barristers who deal with these types of cases. In your experience, how prevalent is it? I mean, what percentage would you give your cases, Colin and Kiara? I'll ask the same to you first, perhaps. Kiara, what percentage of your cases would you see, say, have a element of domestic uh, uh, issue with them? So I would say mine's slightly higher than you talk about the national average of 10% of crime as being domestic violence. Mm. That might be something to do with the fact that I'm a female barrister. Yeah. Um, but I would say about 30% of my work probably has some type of domestic element, whether it's um, stalking or violence that includes um, violence towards somebody in the family home, um, or sexual offences which have been directed within the course of a relationship. Mm. So, um, I, yeah, I would put my figures at perhaps slightly higher than that, about 30%. Wow. Colin? I probably thought I'm close to the national average, I would have thought, in fact. Really? Probably about 10% of cases. And I would have thought that of that 10% of my broader practice, uh, most of those are violence and or sexual offending in the context of a relationship. Okay. I mean, coming from the viewpoint of a solicitor, I, I, 
perhaps it's to do with the socio-economic um, state of this town and the, and the territory that I cover. And I don't that mean that in a negative uh, mm. sense at all. But I, I think that my work would be closer to Kiara's than yours, the level of DV-related DV cases that we cover. Um, but it's, it's interesting that you say that, considering that the uh, national average appears to be 10%. Um, why do you think, and, the, and I know that it's been covered well within the media, why do you think that there is a emphasis on um, making legislation specific to the domestic issues? Why do you think that uh, the, the government's concentrating on it so much um, lately? I think um, social attitudes and views have changed over the years dramatically. I mean, if we have a brief history lesson and think that in, you know, in the 80s, you could not rape your wife, mm. uh, that didn't change until 1991 or thereabouts, when it actually needed judicial intervention to say it's illegal if your wife's not consenting, mm. um, which is quite shocking if you think about where we are and what else has changed over the years. I think in recent years, um, women's charities... I think should be credited massively with changing social attitudes and putting proper pressure on government um, to bring about laws, to bring about changes, um, to ensure that women are protected, but not just women. We often use or fall into a trap of saying women are protected. Correct, yeah. um, in some of the statistics that are around, we know that there are male victims of domestic violence um, from female partners uh, and so I think there's been a sea change in giving everybody that right to be heard and that right to say it's not okay to suffer in silence at home. And I think governments want to show that they're willing to listen and the charities are working in educating people and educating those that need to be educated, i.e. those in power. Kiara, have you got anything to add to, add to that? Um, I think there's also the slow realisation that people don't just end up killing their spouse mm. or partner in a vacuum, um, that there is a build-up to these type of events. And, and we, we're still seeing huge amounts of women and men mm. globally killed every day through um, domestic violence. 80% um, of those happen to be women. Um, killed by male partners but I think it's it's an appreciation that the police and the CPS and legislators have, have clocked onto that um, there is a pattern and so therefore low level forms of domestic violence lead on to something much more serious. It's interesting you say that I mean I don't want to pluck statistics out of the year but speaking to police officers generally they do say that most of the serious violence suffered by people occurs in a domestic setting. What, what do you think of those kind of opinions? It seems to be right, doesn't it, Colin? I would have thought so. There's some sort of, I think, key pattern to facts. Um, you often have stabbings, for example, in gang-related mm. situations or yes, violence is, yeah. between young men. And I don't think that's saying anything incorrect. That's no. just what statistics tell us. Um, and I would have thought that violence in the home is almost as prevalent, if not more so prevalent, because that prevalent. relationship, that gives a catalyst for frustration, emotion, aggression. And crimes don't often just come from nowhere. There is a build-up, as Kiara says, to the ultimate, most serious offence of murder. But I think the home is often where emotions are most volatile. Mm. And so you see reactions take place. Um, you know, crimes of passion, as they're often called in other cultures, um, often happen in the home. And that's the difficulty. You've got this 
boiling um, hot pot, if you like, of temper and emotions, and that can lead to outbursts of violence in people who otherwise would act perfectly rationally in their everyday life. And that's difficult, I think, because I think police are correct to be saying that there's a serious um, catalogue of violence in homes. So what can they do? That it, it, so going back to your previous answers in relation to why there's been a sea change, do you think that they what they're trying to do is nip it in the bud when there's a first report of any DV-related issue they come down on it as hard as they can to make sure that it doesn't escalate or make the person aware, whoever the perpetrator is, that this isn't going to be st- stood for. Yeah, well, I think police have established, I mean, psych- and psychologists, people, you know, there's a huge amount of money that's poured into um, trying to work out how they can combat such high figures of mortality in, in, in domestic violence settings. Mm. Um, and, you know, part of that is identifying the steps and the escalation and it generally tends to be people who who do end up towards the upper end of the spectrum, so either committing very serious harm against their partner or killing them, or have followed a very similar pattern of early offending, so perhaps stalking in previous re- relationships, right. coercive control in their current relationships, um, isolating their victims. So these are all things that are readily identifiable. People don't just do this out of the blue and it usually does follow a pattern in previous relationships so if police are able to establish that prosecute people um, work at rehabilitating those individuals one would hope that you will see the figures of people who die in in domestic violence settings decrease over time Um, so I I do think it is as Connie was talking about the sea change the idea that um, you're not allowing these things to escalate over time. These individuals are identified at an earlier stage. It's not coincidence. There's a pattern for a reason. And if you're able to stop people early on in that pattern, then obviously you're less likely to get such awful results at the end of it. Brilliant. Um, I mean, coming from my own practices and having my own experience, I've seen that normally when, when we talk about DV, domestic violence and things like that, they, it, it was always considered kind of aggravating feature for different events is yeah it, well, they didn't have that much legislation into of course mm. you had the assault and, and xyz but it was always seen as oh that just makes it worse that it's happened in the domestic context do you think in your own opinion and i know you guys have been practicing and you've done very very big cases including murders and things do you think that the previous laws were adequate and it, or do you think that we are moving towards a more fairer and more robust system which is more which will cater for the victim a bit more i think we're seeing good progress mm. we've all fallen into the trap i fell into the trap earlier this evening when i talked about domestic violence mm. violence should read abuse okay. and i think that's what we've really seen over the last few years and change legislation to stalking changes in, in legislation to controlling coercive behavior because i think violence in the home has always been well catered for in terms of the Offence Against a Persons Act has been around (laughs) for hundreds of years. It's rarely tinkered with and it seems to cover and work well for most situations. But when you delete the word violence, you substitute it for abuse. Mm. Um, When there is no injury that you can see or the psychiatrist can't come up to proof and say there's a psychiatric injury here, you were limited in what you could charge as an alternative. So I think, especially with the controlling coercive behaviour, that that sort of offence coming in um, to fruition, uh, we saw an ability to charge a more serious offence to reflect serious offending and culpability, because 
the old saying, you know, scars aren't always the ones that you can see, um, the law necessarily, without realising it, didn't recognise that. Um, so I think the legislation was needed, I think it is needed, and I think it reflects um, modern attitudes and the reality, I'm afraid, of abuse um, in the homes, because it's much more than just violence. Do you think that there's an ignorance of the from the perpetrators about what they're doing? And do you think that the media can help in, how can I say, raising awareness about these kind of things? I mean, we're going to touch upon what other kind of abuse that there can be, and we haven't gone to it yet. Um, but things like, you know, psychological abuse. Do you think that there's situa- certain situations where people just don't realise what they're doing? Kiara? Yeah, I mean, I def- definitely think that there's a part of that. I mean, um, cultural, religious um, backgrounds might come into, um, you know, come, come into your, your thought process, for example. If you've always lived in a household where things are done a certain way, mm. then it's just a continuation of the behaviour perhaps that you've gotten used to. And I do think it's very much um, there has to be a responsibility on educating people. People have to learn that certain behaviours aren't acceptable. Mm. Um, Certain behaviours do form an abuse. I mean, it's easier, as Colin said, to specify violence. Obviously, you know, if you've watched your mother get beaten, Mm. you might then revisit those exact same sins. But Mm. you know, fundamentally, that's wrong. What's more insidious and damaging, perhaps, are the small things. So being in control of the finances and thinking that that's an acceptable way to have a relationship with your partner, um, always constantly asking where they're going because your parent always had complete control over their spouse. Um, they learnt behaviours so people can learn to behave in an opposite way. And that very much does need... Um, multi-agency approach so you know you should be taught this in schools what's an acceptable relationship uh, behavior um media i think there's a a lot about coercive and controlling relationship in the tv at the moment Mm -hmm. a lot of um soaps for example are tackling that as a subject and it's because people do need to relearn behaviors that have been perhaps ingrained over generations in a family what would you say to people that said look listen this is a this is how things are done within our context we're not harming anyone we're not intending to harm anyone um what do you think think about those kind of things and sometimes well i've seen it myself some victims if we if we want to call them that they're so ingrained in the system that they don't see the injustices say that are done to them but what about that context can we take it into court and say look listen there's got to be some leniency because this is how, how things are done the cultural sensitivity, if you want. Well, I, I mean, I, I think the law allows for that. So you have to have been aware that the behaviour that you have been conducting could be coercive and controlling. Right. Um, so, so that's to be intention or just an awareness? Or... An awareness. Yeah. Yeah, which which is, you know, it's kind of understanding that your behaviour mm. um, would have that impact on somebody. Um, yeah. That you are limiting um, their free will, as it were. Mm. Um, so there will be an element of taking into account certain cultural religious considerations. It's not a defence no. in, in and of itself entirely, um, but people appreciate, lawmakers appreciate that people don't live in a vacuum. 
there equally we talk about culture and religious um sentiments but but also people have different contracts when they get into a relationship as to what behavior they think is acceptable and what behavior isn't so it really is very much a case by case basis it's not a blanket approach saying no. this is exactly how somebody should behave of course there are always going to be behaviors that are unacceptable um but it will be looked at in the context of the relationship and that's why you would come to court and you would hear evidence from both sides it's not just a you know an open and shut case you've been no. charged with it someone said i feel coerced and controlled and that's the end of it um you do have an opportunity to put forward a defense and obviously that's something that would be looked at in the round clearly colin there's going to be households and cultures which they think this type of behavior is fine and other cultures might think well that's abhorrent to us um would you agree with the uh, sentiment that the behaviors that are seen to be for want of a better, better phrase not allowed they're obvious there's, there's nothing subtle they would have to be like bad behavior you wouldn't everyone would universally say yeah that's a bit much would you agree that the legislation goes like that i don't think the threshold is as high as that in fact okay um as gara was saying it's that did they know but of course the statute includes the words or ought to have known mm. um, which i think brings in a sense of balance uh, and what the defendant may truly believe is acceptable a jury of his or her peers may think is unacceptable which does create some conflict of course it does, yeah. um, but i think where the filter will happen in terms of cultural issues is when a, a prosecutor is applying the evidential test but also the public interest test mm -hmm. and is thinking objectively about how the victim feels about it and likewise but we're thinking about it practically we're only going to get to the stage of a police and or cps prosecution coming involved if a victim has come forward complainant until conviction then victim has come forward so the logic suggests they're only going to come forward if they themselves don't find it acceptable yeah. or their close family members don't so i don't think cultural defenses are going to be a block to prosecution Join us after the break where Colin and Kiara will carry on with this debate. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh listeners. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to the Ask Your Lawyer show in Inspire FM. Um, I'm Gia Zudino, Wolf & Company Solicitors, and I'm joined by Colin Mitchell and Kiara Maddox of Church Court Chambers. Welcome back, guys. Uh, Thank we've you. We've been speaking about domestic uh, violence and controlling and coercive behaviour. Uh, we touched upon statistics about how prevalent it is in this country and what are the main reasons why the new and upcoming laws are coming through. Um, I want to talk to you guys uh, about what the main offences are when we talk about domestic violence. So um, perhaps you can do one each and go uh, and go through them. Uh, Kiara, first one. Well, we've obviously touched on coercive and controlling behaviour. Um, that's covered under Section 76 of the Serious Crime Act that came into effect in 2015. Mm. It's not retrospective, so it's a new offence. It means that you can't say... I'm relying on evidence from 2012 or right. 1998. Um, what 
previously was in existence was the Harassment Act, Protection from Harassment Act, and that's divided into Section 2, which is without violence, and Section 4, which is with the threats of violence. Mm -hmm. The significance of that for your listeners is Section 2 is a summary-only offence, so the offence can only be within a period of six months, whereas for Section 4 it's an either-way offence so that prosecution can rely on um, evidence going back a number of years and use it as part of um, a course of conduct because harassment is a, a course of conduct um, that would cause someone to um, feel distress or fear um, the test is that of a reasonable person. Um, so so as I said, th there is a slight difference. One's a lot more serious. One wouldn't... The, the Section 2 would normally, well, would always be dealt with at the Magistrates Court. Mm -hmm. And the Section 4, with fear of violence, the more serious offence would usually go to the Crown Court. I, I, I'll stay with you. Talk to us about um, stalking, because you talked about harassment. So stalking is a particular form of um, harassment. Um, it's... So it, people would probably become be a bit more familiar with that because mm. it's the idea of perhaps following somebody, um, you know... Uh, Consistent behaviour online, constantly co being in contact, checking somebody's profile. So it really is just a form of harassment. It all falls under the same umbrella term uh, of an intimidatory offence. I mean, again, Kiara, I'll stick with you because you're talking about this particular offence. You don't have to have split split up for the, to commit these offences, do you? Traditionally, no. people see it as a someone that you want to be with or someone that you've been with. You can still be in the same relationship and harass someone and stalk someone, can't you? Yeah, I think the majority of my cases, there's probably some live element of a relationship going on. Um, it's, I, I guess, slightly less likely that somebody's going to report somebody. But of course, you can have it within a marriage. You can have it within an ongoing relationship. If you're still in contact because you have children together, um, any behaviour that crosses a line mm. in terms of even contact with those children could potentially be an offence under these intimidatory offence brackets. Thank you. Um, Colin, which offence would you like to speak about next? Well, I, I think, can I in fact cover most of the offences there? But I mean, I think um, talking about other adaptations to the law, mm. it's the heightened stalking offences spring to mind, stalking, putting a person in fear of violence, for example. So where um, it's not simply just stalking, but you're making someone through that conduct think they're going to be subject to violence as well. So there may be letters being put through the front door as a classic example, threats being left on your phone by unknown numbers calling you up and it's, it's a threat. Um, and then we have what we mentioned earlier. We have, we shouldn't forget, you have what I call classic offences, offences not specific necessarily to domestic violence in the legislation, mm. which can adequately deal with offending. Threats to kill is a classic one mm. used, I've seen domestic violence context, where the ex-partner has the row over the child custody battle and says, I'm going to kill you, normally more expletive ways than that. Um, and things shouldn't be undercharged by the prosecution. I think that's the other sea change we're seeing. I think 10 years ago, every assault at home was a common assault, and often people didn't worry about the injuries. Um, and so it was a common assault. Oh, it's husband and wife, and they're still together, so we'll charge it as a common assault. But where the injuries are serious, um, where the injuries are fractured, last year I prosecuted domestic violence as a Section 18 wow. because her skull was was injured by the attack upon her. Um, so I think we also have the classic offences that should be appropriately used to ensure that the ultimate punishment imposed 
if there is a punishment imposed by the courts upon a guilty finding, matches the seriousness of the offence. And I think generally linked to the offending is we shouldn't forget in this context um, part of the ancillary package that comes with sentencing, touch upon briefly for listeners. So restraining orders, for example, where there's been a conviction for stalking or harassment, people often don't realise when they're the victim that even if there's not a conviction, a judge can still impose a restraining order upon acquittal. Mm. So defendants often find it very unfair. They've been acquitted because the jury or the district judge or the bench are not satisfied so that they're sure, but they're still satisfied that something went on and therefore they need protecting. Uh, and often the restraining order is more effectively secured in the criminal courts than going through the expense and the delay and the time of the family proceedings. And that can give great comfort often to domestic violence or abuse victims uh, that the court will protect them after after the event, if you like. Right. I mean, it's good that you've touched upon it. I wanted to speak to you in relation to what, what are the actual things that people look for when they talk about coercive behaviour and then controlling behaviour. Um, try to give us some examples, if you can, please, guys. Um, financial control, for example. Yeah, financial control. Um, so controlling the finances, perhaps the money goes into a joint account from the two earnings or perhaps only one party earns mm. and the wife or the husband is given strict budget or they have to justify their expenses. Um, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, um, that kind of control. The term is broad, controlling and coercive behaviour for a reason. It's behaviour that a person's using to maintain that sense of control, which can be very broad indeed. As Carl mentioned earlier, checking up, asking where you are. Um, that could be seen on one view as caring. You might text your partner because you thought they'd be home by 7 o'clock, it's 8 o'clock. No one's going to suggest that's controlling. But asking for prior consent, I think examples given in the guidance is, for example, that you're shutting someone away from their friends. You know, we see it often dramatised in TV shows or, or, or videos or films, um, saying to your partner, but are they really your friends? Do you really need to see them? That's all part of control and coercive behaviour, shutting them off, you're isolating them, uh, and it's really abusing the trust and the protection you should feel in a relationship. How far do you think these laws should go? Because there will be some who say, look, listen, the, the, this type of control, or not, not the type that Collins mentioned, which are clearly uh, obviously abusing someone and making sure that they have no uh, uh, room for manoeuvre in a relationship. But how far should the law go in saying to someone, this is how your relationship should be, you shouldn't be, you should earn your money and split it with your wife, or you should earn your money and split it with your husband the other way, so he doesn't feel controlled. How far do you think the law should go, and how far can we really go? Well, I, I know that people feel uncomfortable um, that external parties um, would be policing their relationship, and, mm. and you know, you see that time and again, that people who make allegations against people in the domestic setting often withdraw their complaints. They don't want to come to court. They've no. decided they want to stay together. And there's a lot of anger both from victim or complainant and perpetrator because um, their view is it's something that's happened within the family home. They're happy to move forward and want to put it to bed. Um, and so it really is a balancing exercise between protecting an individual mm. um, and ensuring that people's rights are not infringed, their Article 8 rights are not infringed. Mm. So there's a constant weighing up, a constant balancing act. 
But as I touched upon earlier, these things don't just happen and then there are no consequences. The reason that people are looking, lawmakers, legislators, police, are are looking into these type of offences is because it's to ensure that they don't escalate to a point where somebody is killed or seriously injured. Um, For example, that... I mean, what, what's fantastic about our criminal justice system is it's constantly fluid and evolving mm. and adapting and changing for the times, as Collins touched upon, the change in law about rape. Of course, now no one would turn around and say, I have a right to rape my wife. You know, the fantastic thing about our legal system is it's adapted to reflect society's changing norms and values. Um, what we are also seeing is discussion about the offence of strangulation. Um, as Colin touched upon earlier, domestic violence was usually charged as a common assault and strangulation because of the nature of the injuries that usually result from it has always been under charge as common assault but strangulation is an incredibly dangerous uh, um, injury because going on for just that little bit of, of time is a difference between someone walking away or someone being murdered so people are now alive to that as being a, a very significant form of abuse, a, a significant form of violence, and the law is adapting, changing to reflect that. Why? Why wouldn't that just go under offences of against the person actor? Why wouldn't somebody just say, "Well, you're trying to strangle someone"? That's a section. That's an ABH. Or if it gets more serious than that, and the, that's a GBH. Why wouldn't it just? Why wouldn't they just leave that alone and make the domestic element uh, an aggravating feature? Why do we have to make it a specific offence? Because ABH and GBH, actual bodily harm and grievous bodily harm, is to reflect the nature of the injury that can be seen following um, the assault. So it might leave very, very light red marks. It might be leave very little bruising. Mm. So the law as it currently stands doesn't properly encapsulate the harm that one could suffer from strangulation, which is why it's being brought in as a new and separate offence. But it's, it's just, it's the understanding and realisation that when you have more information at your fingertips, you can then shape the law to reflect that. And that's what you've seen with coercive and controlling relationship, because it's not necessarily those actions in and of themselves. It's not necessarily yeah. checking somebody's phone that causes the harm. It's where that eventually will lead to. And it's the appreciation of um, people who have changed the law that those things don't happen in a vacuum and they'll become more serious or could become more serious. And those are the things that really need to be stopped. And there are, unfortunately, times when people aren't the best judges of what happened in a relationship. No. You're blinded by being in love with somebody or you're blinded by having access to your children or you're blinded because there's family pressure on you to stay with somebody. Um, But there also then has to be the appreciation that those people might be in danger and someone else has to, at some at some point, come in and, and take control. Did you want to say something, Colin? Yeah, I just wanted to touch uh, on something you raised in the question there in, in terms of the pattern of behaviours that we're seeing. I think it's also important just to pause and to mention that there is a threshold, in fact, built into the offence because once you've evidence the controlling coercive behavior let's say for example it's controlling the finances it's controlling uh, the phone it's controlling your your spending power it has to be shown that that's led to a fear of fear rather of violence being used 
or it's causing that individual serious um, alarm or distress that affects their day-to-day activities substantially, in fact. So your example earlier about is, is there a risk that people will police relationship and say, well, it's very unfair that you've split your finances in this way, or you've earned more, Mrs. Smith, therefore you should be paying more of the mortgage than Mr. Smith mm. is working all these hours and nights in the low-paid job when you have your family wealth. The reality position is that what may be controlling coercive in one relationship would also be controlling coercive in another, but because of the context, because there isn't a vacuum, as Kiara says, it may not necessarily be leading to serious alarm or distress uh, because of the circumstance in which it arises. So there is an inbuilt threshold in the offence which the police and the Crown would look at before authorising a charge and ultimately uh, would be considered by any jury or court deciding whether or not the offence is actually made out. And people accept different things. People, you know, some people be more than happy for their husband to be the, or wife, to be the primary bed, breadwinner and to be given a, uh, an allowance every week. Mm. You know, uh, every relationship is a contract. As long as both both people come into it willingly and with with the same kind of bargaining power, the the law can't possibly involve itself in those situations. What happens is when people don't have um, a voice in that relationship, and perhaps that's being used to. Um, control them or being used to subjugate them um, and, and you know it's those instances which would be looked at and, and as Colin pointed out earlier there has to be a complaint for yeah. these things to be investigated so clearly somebody in that relationship whether an internal actor or indeed somebody who's raising the complaint maybe social services or a relative have looked, or a relative mm. have looked at it and thought look there's something very very wrong there um yeah, it's not just a case of the police coming knocking at your door on the off chance that perhaps you're behaving in a slightly coercive and controlling way. Does there have to be an established pattern, though? I mean, if you stopped your husband spending on one occasion in the shop, you couldn't suddenly be reported for controlling coercive behaviour. It's, it's a pattern of behaviour incidents. Mm. Um, so you'd expect to see... Uh, in short, yes, you'd expect to see a pattern. Uh, I don't think it would be enough to simply say, um, I normally uh, spend my money freely, but today there's a stop on my credit card. I'm ringing 999 unless you <laughs> take the block off. Yeah. I don't think that would be entertained seriously. So we're looking um, for a pattern, like the stalking offences and the harassment offences. You're looking for a pattern within the relationship uh, or and or a number of incidences Um and indeed, I th- when we we're considering the threshold, s- significant distress it really is probably only going to be evidenced by multiple occasions. And in fact, the other element, um, or fear of violence, it's fear of violence uh, on more than one occasion. So we are looking for a pattern, uh, not necessarily entrenched, uh, but a pattern, uh, a theme, if you like, emerging through the dynamic of that relationship. Yeah, yeah. What do you think um, will are the are the best strategy for st- stopping these types of behaviours? Presumably, people would have to be educated about what can be coercive behaviour. But you mentioned already uh, restraining orders and things like that to stop these things. How effective do you think restraining orders are and non molestation orders and things like that? Um, I would have thought. They're pretty effective, actually, because a breach of the same, so breach on those orders, is an offence in of itself. And that fear often works quite well in protecting individuals in the relationship. 
I know we all know what offences are, yeah. um, so you know you shouldn't, you know, stalk or harass your former partner. But having that almost written court document that is unique to you, saying if you go to her home address or his home address or you go to your child's school without the consent of the other parent, is going to result in a specific offence against you, and it's going to affect you. I think it is effective, uh, and. It can give peace of mind to both parties. Uh, I think they're important. Chiara, you can't actually remain in a relationship and have a restraining order against you, can't you? Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say that. I mean, um, what the court for a court to issue a restraining order it has to be shown to be necessary and proportionate. Yeah. So if it were, I'm going to, you know, th- there'd be no point in saying you cannot hit your wife. You yeah. can't hit your wife. That's an offence. That's anyway. covered by law. Yeah. Um, but a restraining order, um, can prohibit you from doing any number of things and so uh, it's perfectly possible for a relationship to continue but if a restraining order to be put in place which might highlight a number of things that a person's prohibited from doing so for example we've been touching on finances um it could be prohibited in the restraining order that um the defendant has um, control over a person's bank account, for mm. example. How would this be policed? It would involve most likely the complainant or the victim uh, making a fresh allegation. But So there are certain things that can be done. Um, restraining orders can limit the places where an individual can go. Um, and, and as Colin said, a breach of a restraining order is actually an incredibly serious offence because it's a court order. Um, and it carries a maximum of five years imprisonment. So if you're found to a breach of restraining order, you could be going to prison for a lot longer than the initial underlying offence would ever have warranted. Colin, um, you don't... uh, You don't actually... From experience, I'm talking. Mm. How much of the um, victim's opinion do the, do the courts take in when they make a restraining order? If the victim says, I don't want a restraining order, um, how much credence do they give to that? Do they make their own mind about whether a restraining order is needed? And um, how do you take away a restraining order uh, as well? Just explain to the... Yeah, um, the courts will take into account a victim's view on whether or not a restraining order is necessary, mm. mainly for practical reasons, as Kiara says. If they turn around and say, we are still in a relationship, mm-hmm. uh, at, the judge may feel that he or she has little power but not to impose one or to seriously curtail the terms he or she would otherwise wish to impose. Um, there are cases where judges have said point blank in open court, I'm imposing restraining order for your own protection yeah, I've heard that. Um, because they have identified from hearing the evidence or reading the papers that actually they are not either emotionally astute or they're just not realising the That's abuse that they're suffering. Make, just on that point though, mm. do you think it's, f- it's, it's for us to get involved in those kind of decisions and say, you're not emotionally astute. Isn't that for the two people in the relationship, though? It's difficult, isn't it? Mm. It's um, it's difficult because what are you to do? And it goes back to where Kiara opened this discussion about 7 o'clock today. Where, what do you do when husband and wife have a limited argument at home? Wife says to judge, I don't need a restraining order. And we go, OK, and wife is murdered the next week. Yeah. 
How yeah. guilty do you feel as the judge? Okay. How guilty do you feel as the lawyers involved? Yeah. Um, and if they choose not to abide by the restraining order, at least the justice system has recognised the future risk. Mm. And I think that's the reason why judges are hesitant, because they recognise, as Kiara has explained, that there is often escalation in behaviour. And I'm afraid the press and the public are unforgiving. They will say social services missed the signs, the justice system missed the signs, um, uh, the police missed the signs and sometimes it's not good enough to say but she didn't want the restraining order or he didn't want the restraining mm. order you have to make it sometimes anyway and it, it may seem like a nanny state uh, but the 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 flip side of it is the risk that comes with it when you don't at least make it known that you have concerns and, and that's that's also reflected when you make an application for bail um, mm. because you find that the threshold for being remanded into custody for domestic violence cases is a lot lower than it would be for the um, the the offence. So it's easier it to were. be remanded. Yes. So, mm. for example, if it were to be an actual bodily harm or threats to kill, the yeah. likelihood is if it's not in domestic setting and you're a first time offender, you probably you're likely bail. to get bail. Um, depending on the circumstances, um, that, that's not a guarantee or promise to any listeners. But um, <laughs> the, the reality of it is, if it's in a domestic setting. Judges are so nervous about granting bail because they want to ensure that the um, complainants are adequately protected. And, you know, feeding into that's the concern that obviously contact is, is more likely or um, that people want to go back to those situations. But there's also a real grave concern that that behaviour is going to keep being repeated and they'll be the judge that will have that front page headline of... Mm defendant released on bail in violent offence, goes on to kill wife or girlfriend. Um, and there have been so many, so many um, murders in the in recent years, deaths that can be attributed to people who've been released on bail for stalking or harassment offences who have then gone on to murder their victim. Um, Colin, um, I just want you to quickly finish on how somebody can go around lifting a restraining order because the final question is to do with the uh, mm. honour-based which we haven't covered and yeah, we should. So. Of course, we touched on that question. Yeah, of course. Um, so restraining orders are normally for a fixed period of time or until further order. Mm. But whatever restraining order is made, you can apply to the court for variation uh, or you can apply for it to, in effect, be, be lifted completely. And the way it works is that you would apply through a solicitor normally to the court, if you're the defendant, or if you're the victim who decides, actually, I want to get back in a relationship with my partner. Um, you can contact the court and you can ask for a hearing uh, and explain to the judge why you feel actually you do not need a restraining order. It's not necessary. Or as we've seen in other cases, um, the conditions unworkable. It's just totally disproportionate to the way the relationship has changed. Um, for example, often access to children, uh, that sort of thing. There may be parallel family proceedings where the issues change. Um, so you can go to court. Judges will listen um, to both sides mm -hmm. and, and they'll come uh, most of the time to an objective uh, reason. But at the back of their mind will be as Kiara says, future risk and then being responsible for a future crime. Kiara, final question. I think we're running out of time, so we're going to have to be quite succinct. Um, the so-called honour-based uh, um, issues in relation to domestic settings. Talk to us a bit about that. Well, on honour-based killings um, do not have to be in a domestic setting, um, although they tend to generally follow the rule that it would be someone within the family um, using uh, an act of violence to protect or defend the so-called honour of either the family or the community. 
Um, and you do see it, it's more prevalent in certain communities than mm. it is others. Um, but as I said, it doesn't just, it's not just limited to family members, um, where, unlike a lot of the uh, offences that we've covered today, such as the coercive and controlling relationship. Um, but I mean, this can cover anything such as um, serious violence, murder, rape, they would all fall under the potential umbrella of, of honour-based violence. Very, very interesting. Colin and Chiara, you've been absolutely brilliant uh, with us today. We've learned a lot. I think we've talked about um, honour-based killings, just like we've mentioned lastly. We've talked about coercing and controlling behaviour. We've talked about the sexual offences. We've talked about what kind of behaviour is seen as stalking and harassment. I think we've discussed quite a few things. Um, what I'd like to do is remind the listeners that if you require any assistance for anything in relation to legal help, um, you can contact us or you can contact uh, you can contact your solicitors to get in touch with Colin or Kiara at Church Court. I've posted the links. If anybody um, needs any assistance or wants to talk to anyone, they can call the two links with the police and the domestic uh, violence hotline that I've posted. Asalaamu Alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at InspireFM Luton.